Hello, and welcome to the Startup Brew Fargo podcast. Startup Brew is a weekly event hosted by Emerging Prairie in downtown Fargo, where we believe that entrepreneurship is energized over brews. Each week, we bring entrepreneurs, founders, and innovators together because we believe they succeed when they have access to each other and the community that supports them. This week, we heard from Atai Damti, founder of Unit, an international business helping companies build financial features into their products, including accounts, cards, payments, lending, and more. Unit owns the heavy lifting of compliance and bank relationships so their clients can build, launch, and grow faster. They are a plug-and-play format that helps tech companies launch financial features with 90% less time and effort. Itai has quite the story behind this business, so let's listen in. Hey everyone, um, thank you for making it uh, this morning. It's great to be in an in-person event for the first time in a long time. Um, it's also great to be in person in, in uh, business with a bank in Fargo and see the great team members for the first time. So that's really incredible. Um, also, this is the coolest startup event I've ever spoken at. Um, just the outdoor setting is incredible. I find nature so inspiring and it's usually a small building or space and now it's just trees and sky around us. So that's incredible. Um, so I'm going to tell you about our company unit and uh, about my background and how that led me to start unit eventually. Um, so unit is a company uh, based in New York with an office in Israel for engineering and product. What we do is we help tech companies build financial features into their products. So if they want to offer checking accounts or cards or payments or lending, we are the infrastructure layer that allows them to do it very easily. Um, so background-wise, I previously spent 10 years at a fintech B2B company that I co-founded in Israel. That's where my accent is from. Um, previous company was with the same co-founder, uh, fintech as well, but a diff what we think is a different wave or generation in fintech. So our previous company makes it easy to start and run an online brokerage. If you want to start something like Robinhood in the UK or in Australia or in the US, you come to us with a, with a license and we give you a brokerage in a box. So we started the company in 2008 when we were four clueless technical founders uh, fresh off the Israeli army because that's how you start companies in Israel. Uh, we raised no money and we managed to grow the company to 160 people around the world. Uh, to date, processes more than 100 billion a month in trading volume and it was a long journey to get it off the ground. Um, over the years, I was leading engineering at first and then, and then I led product and then I moved to Hong Kong to manage the business in Asia Pacific. So I sort of completed my transition to the dark side of the business. I was an engineer. Um, my co-founder uh, was the CTO of our previous business, and he's the CTO right now, <coughs> and he leads an incredible engineering team out of Israel. Um, so what, are, what do we do at UNIT? Um, we're we're going to start with a basic example. Uh, let's say Amazon, you know, that has millions of sellers on the platform, wants to bank those businesses, right? They want to help the person who sells flowers or vitamins or shoes get a bank account, get lending, get cards that they can manage the business with, uh, make payments to their vendors. Um, it's a very, very difficult process for a company like Amazon to launch those financial features um, because it means that they have, at least in the US, they have to work with a sponsor bank, a bank that they partner with, that Choice is known for being uh, one in the country, and they have to find this bank, manage the relationship, but also they have to do two very, very painful things. One of them is they have to absorb all of the compliance, the banking compliance um, practices that make them worthy of distributing such services. And the second thing is they have to launch a lot of tech to support those activities. Um, as you know, as consumers, we know 
uh, banking experiences and investing experiences have taken a huge step up in the last five, 10 years. So for anyone like Amazon to offer a Venmo-like experience or offer a, business, a modern business banking experience takes a huge effort. So we really take those three things that are bank relationships, compliance, and tech, and we build them into one layer that companies like Amazon can consume very, very easily. Um, so that's the, the high level. And just, you know, may, maybe more broadly speaking, the reason we think this is such an important space is if you look at how fintech, financial technology, has developed in the last 10 years, we see it in two waves, right? Wave one was companies like Venmo and Robinhood and Lending Club that took one product and tried to innovate on this product. It could be investing or lending or checking accounts or basic payments. Um, so that was the old or the first wave of fintech that really took off in the last couple of years, especially because of COVID. Um, and the defining word of that wave was product. I was either focusing on investing if I'm Robinhood or I'm focusing on checking if I'm Venmo, um, but product is really what defined that, that wave of companies. And they really tried to beat the banks, right? All these companies, you know, many companies have died. We haven't heard of them because they tried to fight the banks and they couldn't take off, but these few companies have taken off. Uh, so we think what's starting now is a second wave in, in fintech, which is companies you would not think about as fintech companies, like the Amazon example I mentioned, are launching financial services to be more successful at what they do. Amazon, not many people know that, but Amazon is involved in more than 40 financial technology initiatives around the world, not only in the US, but also in India and China and other places. And so we look at the future of fintech and we look at all these companies that have been spinning the flywheel of distribution, data, software, trust. Think about Amazon, think about the power that those companies have, think about the data that they have that make them so suitable for lending and, and banking experiences. Um, we think this is really what's going to define the next decade in, in fintech. All these companies that are launching financial services and what's in it for the end customers, for us, is that we get uh, an integrated banking experience that lives within the tech products that we know, right? It could be that we are you know, students with distinct needs that may get a um, better financing from a company that supports us. It could be that we are shops that are using Amazon or Etsy that, g you know, would get uh, direct financial services and lending. Um, and so this is what the end customers get and what those companies get, the Amazons and the Etsys, is of course much more data, much more revenues and, and a tighter connection with their end customers. So I can tell you a bit more about the different pieces of unit, but that's, that's the high level. After the presentations, we opened up to a live Q&A session with the audience. And today we were joined by our host, Emma McIntyre, who is also the lead coordinator of Startup Brew Fargo. Let's listen in. Uh, well, we're going to jump into our audience Q&A. So if you guys have questions, feel free to raise your hand. If you don't want to ask in person, you can tweet them at Startup Brew Fargo. They'll pop up on my nifty phone. Um, and then I'll translate those to you. Uh, and for our digital audience, if you have questions, please tweet them to at Startup Brew Fargo, and we'll have them appear here. In, in person, live, via technology. Isn't it fantastic? Uh, I like the caffeinated version. I know, it's so strange. <laughs> it's usually like this too, that's the worst part. <laughs> this is just a little more rambling. So <laughs> I would love to kick us off by celebrating wins. Uh, what is something that you guys have done that you're pr most proud of in the last year? Hmm. So we've just closed a Series B round with Excel, led by Excel. It's a $51 million Series B, and it's a huge vote of confidence in the company, and it was done eight months after a Series A. 
So, you know, it says some about the market, but also some about the achievements. Um, but I don't want to celebrate the wins. I want to celebrate the difficulty of the beginning. Um, once upon a time, 18 months ago, Unit was just two people uh, in a room that raised initial funding, 3.6 million for seed. And, you know, I, it, that happened while we were still in Israel, ideating and sitting in the same room. And my job was to, like, fly to the U.S., base myself here, um, and find sponsor banks. And there is a small group of sponsor banks in the ecosystem, um, especially if you think about the good ones that you want to work with, like Choice. And we, I had to basically pitch to 50 different banks with my Israeli accents and, and, and accent and convince them that I have you know, this background and Unity is going to be a big company and a meaningful force in the, this ecosystem. And it was hard, it was really hard, especially during COVID, to get attention from people, to um, convince them that you can stand out as a company. And so for six months, it was two of us, Doron in Israel, my co-founder, and I in San Francisco, and um, just chasing, chasing banks and trying to secure the relationships that will get us off the ground as a company. And without those relationships, the company has nowhere to go. We can't onboard clients. We can't hire more people. Um, there is no reason to grow anything unless you have sponsor banks. And so the six-month process that led to us having those critical relationships was a very, very challenging and long journey. Um, but baby steps, and here we are. Congratulations. Those so are no small beans. So to me, I think that sponsor bank relationships that we have, um, especially with Choice, are the ones that make me proud. And these are the achievements as opposed to, I mean, funding is great because it helps you grow the company. But our previous company grew without VC funding, so we know that funding is not the core of why you build companies. You build companies because you want to get a business off the ground, Pepe? solve a problem. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Oh, big smiles. Do we have any questions from our audience members? I know I called out somebody from Choice Bank before this. I was like, I don't know anything. Ah, Greg. Yeah, for our virtual audience, he asked if you could elaborate on his co-founder and their relationship. So Doron and I have known each other for 20 years. Um, we have a deep, deep love and appreciation for each other. Uh, despite working together for so many years, we don't hate each other. Um, so the previous company we co-founded, we were four co-founders. And we did it fresh off the Israeli army. We all served in the same room in the army. and. Um, at some point, you know, the, the transition from the army to the business mode was that one of us had an offer to build something after hours um, in the army and do something commercial, and he couldn't keep a secret from the rest of us. So all of us got dragged into this project together uh, that ended up becoming our previous company. So I, I've known Duran for many, many years. We were um, same age, uh, think very similarly about the world. Um, I think what's really important in a co-founder relationship is... Um, I guess a lot of it is universal relationship advice, uh, which is give people the benefit of the doubt, appreciate that there is work that goes into it, appreciate that it's not always going to be smooth. Um, it's especially hard when the business feeds into the relationship too. So when things go well, everything feels great. When things don't go well, you can easily fight and get into disagreements. Um, I've had one other relationship with a co-founder that I, I ended previously between the two companies that Doron and I started together. And I think what I realized is that, is that it's, you know, timing matters, uh, values matter, and it's all about look at the company you're trying to build, 
look at this, think about the skill set you need to get this company off the ground. Um, I'll, I'll maybe give a specific example. The company that I ended up folding between our first company and unit um, was a crypto quant trading company. So we had a small pool of capital. We traded in 32 cryptocurrency exchanges and, and acted on opportunities in the market. And I went back to coding for that. It was three years ago. It was great. But, it, you know, coding, it's not my strong suit. It's not like I'm my co-founder, Daron, right? I'm, I picked up coding again. Um, and so to, to succeed in that space, in a space where Wall Street firms are playing and where um, really big companies are trying to make money and it's so competitive, you have to get good at two things. You have to really think what's good in that space, what is going to make you succeed as a company. One, you have to have a trader in the founding team, and two, you need to have the best CTO in the world in the founding team. None of us, the two co-founders, was either a great trader or a great CTO. So I think it really starts with what the business needs, and then you sort of derive the personalities from the needs of the business. And if you have two people that have complementary skill sets and aligned values, right, values are really, really important. Um, what kind of culture do you want to build? Do you, are you greedy? Some people are greedy um, and relationships go off rails because they're greedy. Um, so if you have the core values that are shared between you and your co-founder and you have all the basic relationship advice in place, I think it's, uh, it can work and it, it works for us. We love, we love working together. We did have a question come in via Twitter and I will pull it up when my phone unlocks. Oh, well that was rude, now it disappeared. Oh, my sincere apologies. If I recall correctly from when it showed up on my screen, uh, it requested you could elaborate on what it's like to bring on sponsor banks. How do you get your foot in the door through that process? So this ecosystem has existed for roughly 20 years, right? Um, I think there's one bank called Bancorp that has been doing it for a very, very long time. So the idea of companies partnering with banks is not new. Um, when United launched the card that they offer us as consumers, they had to find the bank sponsor. And it's easy for large companies because they have the distribution and the economies of scale and they can show banks why, what's in it for them. Um, but for smaller company, it's, companies, it's always been a challenge to find those sponsor banks and to get into relationships with them. So there are two flavors of relationships. One is a 99% relationship where a tech company approaches a bank tries to convince them that they have a good business model. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. If you're a company that builds software for landlords, you can approach a bank like Choice and say, we have an idea for a suite of financial services that can really make the life of those landlords better. We can give them checking accounts for all the properties they own. We can give them interest on the money they make from rent. We can give them cars that would help them keep track of the spend on the different properties. Um, we can give them lending and mortgages, right? There is a never-ending suite of financial services we can offer them. Would you be my sponsor bank? And the bank thinks 10 times about each one of these relationships because th these are expensive relationships for the bank too. And so the banks tend to vet those companies and in 99% of the cases, this is a um, sort of a well-framed opportunity for the bank and the tech company and then it ends up materializing and it's, it's a long process, but that's, that's how it's done we represent a different generation of companies, the 1%. And you're gonna see a small group of these, but hopefully these will be the centers of gravity in the ecosystem. We ask the bank to let us represent the bank in the ecosystem, or at least catch the business, 
bring those companies, the landlord companies, the student companies, the companies that help schools, the companies that help shops that sell online, we will get those businesses to sign up with us and serve them. And then we will act as an extension of the bank for compliance purposes. And that's a big ask because banks are rightly paranoid about how companies distribute their financial serv services, right? If, if companies make mistakes or deceptive uh, actions in doing so, it's a very, very sensitive topic for the bank. And so UNIT tries to be a, unit, a layer that streamlines and keeps this more secure, accessible, and, and really enforces what the banks care about. But it's a very, very sensitive relationship for us and the bank. And I think the way I see this uh, sort of industry developing in the next 10 years is that it's still very, very expensive and very hard for companies to find those sponsor banks and to build those financial services. Um, we, some of us may know a company called Stripe that makes it super easy to accept payments online, right? All you need to do to use Stripe is to go to their website, sign up, and you can accept payments within five minutes. Um, and so this is what I think will eventually happen in banking, but it will be a long process and it, it will require training and tooling and, and education and safety. So that's, that's my view on these relationships. And uh, Makai. Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I'm not qualified to be a futurist. I'm just going to speculate on what, what I see and what I've seen. Um, I first met the crypto world in 2013. I was not smart enough to buy back then, but at least it, it got me interested. Um, I think there are two different schools of thought in crypto, and they're not mutually exclusive. They sort of coexist. One is that there is a, an asset class, like a digital gold, uh, that Bitcoin can be because, you know, Central banks have been creating a lot of money. Um, there is a possible inflation. Traditionally, what gold has been, a way to protect your, um, your assets, maybe Bitcoin can be one day. And if you think about the market cap or the size of, of the, all the gold assets in the world, it's about 10 trillion at this point. Um, and sort of Bitcoin has this aspiration to become a similar kind of invention. So that's one kind of value that, that this ecosystem offers, in my opinion. And that's a big breakthrough. Um, the second one, which I, I, less, I can relate to, but less, is that people think that there is an ecosystem of services that would get built natively in the crypto ecosystem. Um, you know, the, the permissionless nature of crypto is a promise. I think it's also dangerous, right? It's dangerous for because of money laundering. It's dangerous because of um, you, you do all the regulations that exist in the U.S. around consumer protection and investor protection. They exist for a reason. They developed over time because people got burned. And so I think that the permissionless nature of crypto will eventually, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, have to be restricted and regulated. And that will make crypto a bit maybe more efficient than what we have today in Wall Street but not so much more efficient. I think, you know, if you look at how we can all invest in a centralized service like Robinhood, um, it's pretty easy. And, you know, we can buy Vanguard um, investments, ETFs that are also pretty affordable. So I think people say that the financial system is completely broken. I disagree. 
but I think it, it has, this ecosystem has a lot of creative ideas to offer, and especially I think the first use case of just protecting savers from inflation and loss of value of traditional currencies, that, that's a promise that I can relate to. Um, I have too much of my net worth tied to Bitcoin, by the way, so it's not a lot, but yeah. Jordan. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, first of all, we're not smart enough to go bootstrapped again, right? Um, I think, you know, bootstrapping is the ultimate boss move in, in entrepreneurship, in my opinion. Um, you can get more ambitious when you raise money, but you also have to be mindful of the, the avalanche effect of like, you know, having to raise the snowball effect of having to raise more money. And then because you want to raise more money, you have to demonstrate um, growth. You have to demonstrate milestones and that... I see a lot of companies chasing short-term goals just to demonstrate that growth, as opposed to taking a long-term view on the ecosystem. Um, you know, I can be specific about our business. We have to say no to a lot of clients because those clients belong to industries that from a compliance point of view, we don't feel comfortable with. Um, it's not a huge audience, but you know, occasionally we have these conversations. And so you know, at these points, I ask myself, like I have this dilemma as a founder, do I want to sign five more clients and be bigger when I raise my next round? Or do I want to say no to those clients because I do believe in the 10 to 20 year vision? And so I think there's, a, there's an interesting balance you have to strike between the short term decisions and the long term decisions. Um, it's fun to be funded because you can, you know, we, we're integrating with the Fed right now. It's a, it's a big project. We can make expenses without thinking twice. We can hire great people without thinking twice. Um, so I think it's a different flavor, but it's not good for every business, and you really have to be sort of mindful of the the, the dangerous traps in, in VC money. We'll take one more question from the audience, if anybody's got one. Yes. Yeah, so I think um, we're built for a different generation of builders. Um, if you look at how people build financial technology today, even in the last five years, Fiserv is, is much older than five years. Um, and for people who don't know, Fiserv is one of the three companies that are pretty much the go-to companies for bank core systems, the bank databases that really keep track of how much money you have and I have. Um, and so these companies were built, they're huge, right? They're um, like a hundred billion in market cap. And they were built for banks. And turns out that financial technology companies have very different needs than what banks have, right? Because those systems, the, the old systems were built for branches, right? Literally, there are, there are permissioning systems and applications within the Fiserv ecosystem that are built for tellers, for people who actually take walk-ins in, in banks. Um, and so when we think about the scale that tech companies operate in, think about Venmo. Venmo opens, you know, 100,000 accounts per day, let's say. Um, it's a huge number. It's a number that can put a huge strain on those systems. And those systems are not really built to be the database for modern money movement and high velocity money movement. And so many things break in those old systems. 
And the, the, the way we approach things is that we try to build a native solution for a new generation of builders. Um, they're not banks. They don't know what a core system is. And we have a very, very strong principle in Unit that we don't speak the language of bankers. Unit doesn't try to impress people with language. We try to simplify and empower. And so to me, the biggest win is not in explaining how a bank core works to the ecosystem, to 100 people. To me, the biggest win is simplifying the language and the sign-up process and the build process to the point that it's so easy and empowering for someone to experiment with banking products. Um, and so I think the old generation is just be facing banks. We try to face the tech ecosystem and speak to people who may not have access to building fintech otherwise. And I think it's, it's a huge um, promise because now you can get so many new companies that serve so many different populations, right? You can you get a company that serves farmers for their financial needs. Uh, you get a company that serves students. You get a company that serves universities and schools or hospitals uh, or medical clinics. It's, it's never ending. The beauty of the financial services industry is that it's so huge that you can create 5,000 new companies that take a small portion of it and still be successful. So I have one final question that I'd love to leave with you. In the best relationships, there's obviously give and take, and we took your time, so now it's time for us to give something back. Uh, what is one thing that each of us can do to energize the work that you guys are currently doing at UNIT here in Fargo, North Dakota? I guess just, just approach me and tell me about one financial need you have that as a consumer, as a business that hasn't been met by your banks or service providers, and, and maybe I can empower one of you to start a company in that space or you know in this unit um or or maybe think about one of our clients who can help you Heck yeah. awesome well thanks so much for being here with us this morning let's give you a big round of applause that's all we have for this week's startup roof fargo thanks for listening in startup roof fargo is energized by emerging prairie an organization dedicated to connecting and celebrating the entrepreneurial ecosystem we'd also like to thank the following sponsors for their support pro resources brady mertz the FMCVB, Office Sign Company, Fargo Parks, and Midco. See you next time.